0: This is Future You with Jeff Salingo and Michael Horn.
1: On this episode of Future You, a major admissions scandal rocks the world of higher education and moves college admissions to front page news. In the last couple weeks, there have been more than 50 indictments handed down related to cheating and bribery in college admissions. The accused parties include actresses, business leaders whose children attend or have attended elite institutions, including Yale, Stanford, USC, Georgetown, and among others. At the center of the scandal is William Singer, a college counseling consultant who helped families bribe coaches and test monitors, falsify exam scores, and create fictional student profiles to secure admission to selective institutions. On this uh, episode of Future You, it's going to be a special episode. I'm Michael Horn, and I get to interview our very own Jeff Selingo, who's been deeply immersed in the world of college admissions this year as he prepares his book for 2020, uh, The Choice. So this is going to be a different episode of Future You, and uh, excited to dig into this scandal that has really rocked not just the world of higher education, frankly, Jeff, but also uh, it's... Caused higher education Hollywood. to get out of our own echo chamber, <laughs> it right? It has everything. It has
0: money, Hollywood, hedge funds, law, elitism. I mean, it is like it takes on every single big issue right now and, and crosses it with the stars of, of Hollywood. I, I, you can't get any better.
1: Yeah, it's. Re- I mean, it, you're absolutely right. And everyone knows about it. Everyone who knows that you're in yes. higher education who has nothing to do with it, they yeah. say, What do you think about it? Yeah. Because Uh, Obviously, we're both very close to it, but you've literally been in the admissions offices uh, at a few universities, uh, embedded in their process over the last uh, several months. So just to start with, for those of us uh, who haven't maybe been super following the story, uh, break down exactly what are the charges and accusations um, about?
0: So there's basically two parts, right? So a Singer ran, essentially what I can tell is a legitimate uh, college uh, uh, advising office or counselor, private counselor, which of course there are thousands across the country doing this type of work. Uh, it seems to hint me that at some point uh, when he had clients, uh, maybe he would get to know them well, I'd love to know how this happened, mm-hmm. and he would say, hey, you know what, um, we could actually do a Little bit more to actually guarantee that we're going to get your child into one of these places, and of course, it will cost you a lot of money. Um, some cases, you know, tens of thousands of dollars; other cases, hundreds of thousands, even over a million dollars. And he did that in one of two ways. One was uh, through SAT, through the SAT, and he would basically have these children um, diagnosed uh, so that uh, that they would be able to take the SAT on their own with a private proctor, uh, and uh, and and they would either allow them to have a much a lot of extra time, um, uh, and that would then they basically the proctor would then correct the tests uh, or give them the answers. So that's that's one way of of increasing their scores to to get them into these places. The other way, uh, which is just to me incredibly brazen, uh, is that he paid off these uh, coaches, athletic coaches at every place from Stanford, Yale, Georgetown, uh, and USC to get them on uh, to get them as essentially recruited athletes in these kind of minor sports. Uh, with the exception of, of women's soccer at uh, at Yale. Uh, and basically, he would, uh, you know, athletics has these slots at these universities, and athletic recruiting works differently everywhere. But he would basically say, this person is a recruited athlete, let's let them in. Uh, and most of the cases, these students, this is what he yeah. was brazen about, it. they didn't play this sport. Uh, and so the fun part, I think, of the indictments last week, you know, they had, had them dress up, they photoshopped and doctored yeah, photos, top, right, to, pre- right to, and... pretend, uh, to pretend that they were actually athletes. And then, of course, they would get there and they would quit the team. They would have some sort of excuse to quit the team. Uh, so, you know, uh, 33 parents uh, in, indicted in this. And I actually think this is the tip of the iceberg. He had hundreds of clients, obviously some of them legitimate, but there probably is more of this to come.
1: So the attorney general has hinted at that, that there may be, I think, up to 700 or something yep. other people under investigation. How is this going to drop over the, and will it involve more institutions, do you think?
0: Uh, I have a feeling it will involve more institutions. There are more than just a few elite institutions. Uh, and and again, because he had such a large roster of well-paying clients who clearly had incentive to try to get their kids into these schools, uh, I don't think this is the end of it. And the fact that he was able to find coaches and athletic folks at, at these schools means that he probably found them other places as well. I mean, again, I'm just really shocked at... Uh, at how this is, has come about. Um, it, it shows, I guess,
1: that everybody could be bought off in some way. So so let's actually break that down in a, a, a few of the different categories yeah. you listed. Uh, let's start with the uh, athletics. Uh, I, what does this say about sports recruiting? Uh, what is the implications going to be? And frankly, I was shocked that there isn't an audit process or some sort of check just to verify uh, this in in these schools where Admissions is arguably the most important thing yeah. that they do.
0: And there isn't. So I'm following three schools for this book, and, and two of them are Division One: uh, Davidson uh, College in, in North Carolina and University of Washington. Uh, Emory has sports. They don't compete at Division One. But in athletics recruiting re- works differently everywhere. But essentially, the student is recruited as an athlete first and then, a, and then a student, right? So coaches start identifying these students very early on in high school. They follow them at, at competitions and club sports or whatever. And this is like uh, freshman year of this freshman school, year of high school. There's yeah. some rules about when they could make contact and things like that, but they're they're tracking them. Students, uh, athletes, email uh, these coaches and say, "Hey, I want to be considered." Anyway, what what happens is they're they're recruited by the coach, uh, who then, um, as things start to get serious and as we get closer to the senior year of high school, starts to look at uh, you know grades and test scores to see if they're admissible. Most coaches know kind of if they're admissible, uh, but what they will do then when they get really serious is send over the, all their documentation to the admissions office office at many of these places, which they do a pre-read. Uh, and this is especially at selective colleges, right, where where they don't, where it's very difficult to get into. And the admissions office will do a pre-read and basically say, yes, you know, they'll say green light, no problem, yellow keep, light, keep yeah, yellow light, uh, this is a problem. It's the red lights that cause the problem, right? So if the coach really wants somebody and it's a red light for admissions, then there's where there's a lot of negotiation.
1: Now, at some of these so places... Wait, 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 yeah. Actually, pause for a second. So if you get a red light on a student that the coach really wants... That's not a guarantee, is what you're say- saying. It's so not a not guarantee that they're in. like they could still, a, yeah, could still uh, figure exactly. out a way.
0: They still could figure out a way. They could again, it differs by institution, but they could talk to, uh, they could talk to the admissions dean. Some of these things go to the provost. Some of these things go to faculty admissions committees. Again, there is no such thing as an admissions system. Works differently every place. And at some of these places, and and this was actually. Unclear to me uh, until last week is that they have these slots, mm-hmm. uh, and in some places they seem a little bit more guaranteed. Right, the coach at Georgetown had you know three slots this particular year where he tried to get these students in. Again, I, I'm not quite sure how much of a guarantee that is. The stories seem to indicate it was a guarantee, but I think that there's a lot more negotiation going on between the uh, admissions office and the coach. But here's the thing: the admissions office, when they're looking at these files. They're focused on the academics. They don't have any idea whether this kid actually plays or not, right? They're not looking at video. They're not even looking up to see if this, uh, you know, there was that one uh, kid, I guess, water polo at USC, didn't even go to a high school that offered, you know, the sport, right? And there were some questions about that. But, but the admissions, uh, and I, I'm writing a piece for The uh, Atlantic right now that makes this point, uh, Emissions officers are not meant to be detectives, right? In fact, on anything, right? They're, they have to take at face value. The whole system is built on trust, and they have to take at face value. And especially when a coach says, hey, you know, Michael Horn's a great tennis player. We want him, and, uh, you know, we're going to – and you have to trust them on that.
1: Well, so – and presumably they would trust them because they think that those coaches are trying to build teams that are going to be want contenders to in their <laughs> league, right? So yeah. that makes sense. Uh, but but the the flip side, I'm curious, how do you craft a whole application that makes it – you know, if you say I, I play tennis and I don't, I, I, I don't say, uh, then uh, – presumably my recommendations about my after-school things and stuff like that are going to reflect that in a holistic candidate.
0: And that's the part I don't quite get. I would love to see these students' applications because to me, and, and again, I've been sitting with these readers You would know if the person plays a sport, Um, even if the coach didn't tell you, right? It it will appear, obviously, Mm -hmm. on their extracurricular activities, which I'm sure, I'm hoping Rick Singer was able to at least remember to do that, right? Sure. (laughs) (laughs) Listed on the extracurricular activities. But it's also going to come up in other things. Most of these athletes write about it in their essays, in Mm -hmm. their personal statements, or their short answers, or it comes up in teacher or counselor recommendations. So that's when it's going to raise a red flag to me if, as a reader, saying, why is this kid a recruited athlete, and nowhere else in the application is he or she or teachers or rec- uh, counselors talking about this? That to me should have been a red flag.
1: Yeah. So, and, and presumably somehow captured it in there or falsified, maybe even those letters and letters of recommendation. Uh, right. We, don't, we again don't, we don't know, know, know how deep this okay. goes, and and I would be love to know. Uh, I wish they would be able to
0: release these uh, sure these the actual application files themselves. because it would be interesting to see what actually was in there.
1: So here is my other question before we switch to the SAT strand, which is. Uh, I'm surprised that colleges don't have an audit process uh, for something so important as this. And maybe they just have assumed that the trust and honesty works because, of course, the coaches are motivated by winning teams. And remarkably, in the case of Yale, they actually went to the NCAAs (laughs) uh, uh, down a a roster spot because it was a uh, student who did not, in fact, play women's soccer. But Uh, why not have some sort of check on the admissions process more generally through an audit Given that it's your highest risk part of your operations, arguably it is. And again, I don't think anyone thought this could ever happen, or that people would even
0: try to do this. Uh, and and part of the problem is that in the last five, six, seven years, in the last decade or so, we've just had this incredible surge of applications, at, especially at these selective colleges. Right? You know, ten. You know, at Emory, for example, one of the schools I'm following. You know, they they had an increase of ten thousand applications in the last four years. It took them something like a hundred years to even reach ten thousand applications from their founding, you know, un- until reaching 10,000, right? So they've just seen this incredible popularity. And so part of the thing that admissions deans have been telling me is it's just, it's very hard to manage this volume and to have some other system in place of checks and balances. And it seems that people did ask questions, right? We know at USC and at Stanford and other places, People down the road, whether it was in the athletics department or admissions or or, uh, student uh, student success initiatives around uh, around athletics, said, hey, what happened to this student? But the problem is, you know, these students come and go, right? You know, first of all, not everybody who applies gets accepted. Not everybody who accepted actually comes, right? Then students come, and they say they're going to play a sport, and they get injured, right? So I think people move in and out so much that um, this was never really tracked for thinking people were going to game the system.
1: So interesting. Okay, let's switch over to the SAT conversation about this then, because this, this is, is where I think they really wasted this their money. Is, well, so 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 talk more about that. Uh, if if they really wasted their uh,
0: money in the SAT, what does that mean? I mean, so more of these selective colleges. You know, University of Chicago went test optional last year. More of these selective colleges. The SAT and ACT, their standardized test scores are really kind of a what I call a check-in at the very end of the process. Yes, they, they play a role, but they're increasingly playing a diminishing role in admissions. Um, and so what they really want to know, the, the two biggest drivers of admissions decisions are high school curriculum, uh, and the rigor of the high school, closely related, and grades, high school grades.
1: And rigor of high school is based on other students that they've seen? Yeah, from other students before, they've or seen, or how you they know?
0: Percentage, of, percentage of students. One of the measures is percentage of students who go on to college. Uh, they want to see the curriculum. So they don't count how many AP tests the student has taken, but they want to see how many AP courses are offered or does it offer an IB, international baccalaureate curriculum, things like that. And, and most of the time, they know these high schools because they're continual feeders to these colleges. So that's most... Important. If those grades and test scores are really high and they just seem out of whack, they'll look at the you know they'll see how it compares to the to the SAT. But for most people, uh, you know, sixty percent I think of people have grades and test scores that are, are pretty comparable. Forty um, percent. They either have higher grades and lower test scores, or higher test scores and lower grades, and so that's where that that's where they really start to dig deeper on one or the other, and that's when really test scores come into to being. So the question that I had in this, um, I, I think in some cases these test scores were so low that they know that they wouldn't even consider them. But I've seen at Emory, for example, uh, you know somebody get accepted uh, at least temporarily. I, I don't know; they haven't sent out their acceptances yet, but uh, you know who had like a twelve. 1200 on the SAT. And I've seen people get rejected with almost a perfect 1600 on the SAT. So again, this is where I don't think the scores, there's not a cutoff at many of these places. And, and to, the, for them to pay so much to try to get to a certain score, I thought uh, was not necessarily a guarantee to get them in.
1: Super interesting. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, I'm going to ask Jeff a little bit more about the SAT and whether we should go to a lottery system for elite college admissions. We'll be right back on Future U.
0: This episode of Future U was made possible with
1: support from the Academy for Innovative Higher Education Leadership. The Academy is a partnership between Arizona State University and Georgetown University, and is the premier training ground for those who aspire to senior leadership positions in higher education and those who want to lead organizational change at colleges and universities in the future. This episode was also made possible with support from Entangled Solutions. If you want to shape the future of education, Entangled Solutions would like to hear from you. Entangled Solutions is hiring smart, mission-driven team members interested in helping world-class institutions solve their most vexing challenges in learning and education. Learn more at entangled.solutions. And we're back on Future You talking about the college admissions scandal that has rocked uh, the higher education world and made the front page news of the New York Times, Washington Post, Wall Street Journal, and so forth with uh, our resident expert, Jeff Selengo. And Jeff, uh, we were just talking about the importance of the SAT waning in recent years uh, as uh, college admissions look at a lot of other factors as they decide uh, uh, whether students should get in or not. I'm curious, what's explained that decline of the SAT in importance, and ACT presumably yeah, as well? It's,
0: it's two things uh, in particular, in terms of their waning uh, performance. One is uh, is whether the SAT actually predicts success in college. And, and, and there's a number of studies on this. Uh, you know, most of them say, okay, it might predict freshman year grades, but it really doesn't predict persistence, meaning um, staying in college or graduating rates. And so many colleges have seen that actually Rigor of curriculum in high school and high school grades over four years. You know, there's a saying in admissions: four years means more than four hours, uh, meaning the, the you know the test taking time. Uh, and so that's that's one reason. The second reason is equity, right? So there's a big push now in in higher education, especially at these elite colleges, to enroll more low income first generation kids. And um and and performance on the SAT is essentially equal to how you've grown up, right? If you come from wealthier families and went to better schools, you get higher test scores. Uh, there's there's a one-to-one comparison on this stuff. And so the schools know that if they want to try to uh, diversify their class economically, that they're going to have to look at other factors beyond just SAT scores.
1: It's so interesting. I, t- two quick thoughts on it. One is I'm struck by that fact because it just seems to open up the world to uh, more grade inflation in these schools. Uh, and second, it seems to disadvantage students who attend schools uh, that don't have particularly rich College preparatory or AP programs uh, in their colleges, and which I imagine disproportionately impacts low-income students uh, for whom there's not a lot of students in their schools applying to these elite colleges every year. And there's not quite that feeder system. So I would imagine that would have its downside as well.
0: It does. And and I think this the the thing that to me, as we think about the future of admissions, the thing that this scandal I think has opened up is what is the proper system to select students, right? It's it's broken. There's no doubt about it. We've moved to this kind of holistic system of admissions. You know, I made this point last week back in nineteen fifty, University of California, Berkeley and in, in Los Angeles basically said, if you you take these courses and get these grades, you're in, Mm -hmm. right? Now, if you look at their admission standards, they're like nine pages long. It's holistic admissions. They kind of tell you briefly kind of what they consider, but they don't tell you how much weight they put on any of them. You know, this whole idea of holistic admissions basically gives college and universities- Wide discretion. Wide discretion, which is- you know, we talked about this before in Future Year, which is, to me, really the basis of the Harvard lawsuit mm-hmm. on uh, on Asian Americans and, and and discrimination against them, right? Because to me, what the that lawsuit says is that um, colleges and universities should not have that wide latitude, right, to pick the class the way they want to, to shape the class they want to. So I think this, to me, is really what happened last week, leads to a, a real discussion in higher ed about what when we have so many applications, right, we're overwhelmed with applications, especially at these selective schools, and that's a whole other conversation about why and does it matter if you go to selective schools, but it's a fact of life right Mm -hmm. now. You know, how do you pick uh, a couple thousand out of 40,000 applications or 50 or 60,000.
1: And so one of the ideas that you have floated and not just you, other people yep. as well, <clears throat> has been to go to this, uh, lottery system, uh, in effect, where it would be uh, kind of like getting into a charter school yep. in K-12. There'd be some, uh, I imagine some bar, cut yep. c- cutoffs and, and then a uh, random lottery. Do you get in or not? Uh how would that actually work? Who would compel it? Would the elite colleges want to do this? How, how, how are we going to get from here to there?
0: So this is an idea uh, that Eric Hoover at the Chronicle, who's covered uh, admissions for much longer than anybody, I think, uh, has talked. you know, he said this idea comes up every couple of months, right? Every time there is an admissions yeah. uh, issue. And, and And there are issues with the lottery system, right? So the idea is, how do you maintain diversity in that, uh, system? How do you get, I mean, one of the issues with this, uh, scandal last week is how do you get enough pitchers for the baseball team and enough, you know, coxswains for the, uh, the rowing team, right? You, you need all of these things and a lottery is not so long as that. you
1: assume that sports should remain coupled with, uh, which I guess yes. is a whole nother, whole debate, but yes, I just want to make sure. I'm yeah, so, yeah. So, yeah.
0: Uh, so, so the lottery system creates problems, uh, uh creates problems there. As well, uh, you know, some people have talked about a matching system, very similar to how medical school students are matched to their residencies, right? So students say they list Just these t- top five whatever. schools, yep. and schools list their top five. Others have talked about a clearinghouse where. Essentially, everybody's information is public uh, in, in this clearinghouse for any college to grab and say, I want these students, and they go after those students. I mean, part of the problem in the U.S. is that we have a very inefficient system when it comes to applying to colleges. I'm interviewing one of the kids for the book that I just saw yesterday, who actually got into MIT. Congratulations to him. But he applied. He was so nervous, he applied to 24 schools, right? Mm-hmm. And he applied to 24 schools because he wanted 24 acceptances. I know there's some people out there that want that trophy, but he applied because he was just so nervous that he wouldn't get in, mm-hmm. and um, and and this is this is happening all over the place, and and so we have all these schools going after all these students, we have all these students going after all these schools, and uh, it's an incredibly inefficient um, system, by the way, that also is controlled largely by private entities, right? The government really doesn't play any role in this, like they do in other countries.
1: So that's one of the beauties, though, also of the American higher education system is that in, in other right yeah. choice, and in other countries, you know in Korea, You either get above a certain score, which directly determines the college you will get into, which directly, frankly, determines your life outcomes. Uh, And it's a sort of either or bar. You're either above it or you're not. In the U.S., there's a diversity of pathways, which is sort of the beauty of the system. But to your point, it creates a lot of inefficiencies and chaos and confusion and and disadvantages uh, certain populations who may not know the rules of the game uh, in certain ways. Would private colleges themselves ever switch to the system because they're, they're no. they 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 obviously take federal funding as you've written yep. about, uh, and and we could question whether they're private or public institutions in in a funny kind of way that way, but they are private. So what would it take to tip them into such a system? So
0: whatever reforms are going to come are I think are going to have to come from the inside. Um, mm-hmm. uh, you know all the reform movements uh, in admissions over the last twenty years. You know for example the whole test optional and, and the pushback against the SAT, even the SAT redesign, you know, came from places like the University of California and all the small liberal arts colleges in New England that went test optional. So all of these things are going to have to come from the inside. I am not really confident that's going to happen. Mm-hmm. I mean, we've, you know, admissions deans have been against the U.S. News and World Report rankings almost since the beginning, and they haven't been able to really sort that out, right, because they all want to play that game, right? Yeah. They're in competition with each other yes, they want to cooperate. They want to make sure that the system is trustworthy. But at the same time, they're also in competition with each other. And I can't imagine them coming up with any sort of system that advantages one and disadvantages another. And that is, at the end of the day, what's going to happen almost on any system is there are going to be winners and there are going to be losers. And at least now they kind of, they know the general rules of the game.
1: So so two other questions. Uh, one, a lot of people, you've seen it on social media and so forth, have been asking, why not just write a big check rather than go through all these machinations? And, and then Jared. Kushner's uh, father and name comes up every single time with Harvard uh, on this. uh, Of yeah, there was no affiliation with the school, but wrote a big check uh, as a donor, totally legal. uh, Maybe not something we want to see encouraged from an equity standpoint, but uh, this is a known thing that people try to do that. Why not just do that and play by the rules? Why go through all these machinations?
0: Well, uh, so supposedly, and the New York Times had this figure last week, I'm not sure to believe it, that the minimum going right now for one of those donations is $10 million, and it doesn't even guarantee you anything. How people really know that. I, I'm, I'm a cynic, but I'm not as cynical as I think some people out there that think every position at a university could be bought. Mm-hmm. Does it happen? Sure. There are development cases. I've seen it even in the colleges I'm following where they pay attention to these things. But at the end of the day, um, just because you allow in a, a, a kid of a, a, of a wealthy family doesn't mean that, by the way, other donations are going to follow. Sure, they give a donation. Um, is that Does that mean that kid got in for that reason? In some ways, I think that's more transparent, at least, because their name gets on something somewhere, uh, than, than what has happened in this case, where you didn't know these people were paying paying bribes. So it, it happens. I know it happens. I don't think it happens to the extent that some people think it does in terms of donations, largely, again, because the amount of money, I think, that would really get people to start to perk up and say, yes, we're going to let, you know, X in, uh, I, I think is a big number.
1: Okay, last question, I promise. We haven't even touched legacy, but, uh, 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 which I'm, I'm actually curious about as well. But I'm curious, you look into your crystal ball, what impact is this story going to actually have on higher education one year, five years, 10 years from now?
0: Uh, unfortunately, I don't think much. I okay. think people will talk about it because it has you know, all these stars involved and things like that. I, I think legacy has been under fire for so long. And to me, that's a bigger problem than the donations problem we were just okay. talking about. Uh, I think legacy has come up in every single affirmative action case. Uh, it has come up in this uh, issue as well. Uh, colleges and universities really like legacies. They want to build intergenerational love for the institution. They want to build, inter, you know, an intergenerational support uh, for that. You know, those kids tend to uh, deposit and actually go to these places when they're admitted, right? So those things matter to, to universities. And at the end of the day, as I said earlier, and this is, again, at the heart of the Harvard case, is do we allow these universities to shape the class they way, the way they want to? Mm-hmm. Um, and right now, they are, giving, they are given a lot of latitude as long as they follow the letter of the law, um, you know, as long as they don't outwardly discriminate. Um, and, uh, and, there's, and because they're using this holistic emissions, there's a lot of room there. There's a lot of leeway that they're given. And I think whatever happens in this Harvard case, I think will have much more impact In the long run, depending on how this goes, than this scandal last week, although it's much juicier.
1: (laughs) So much juicier. But let me. Sorry, I I, I lied. One last question on this: the difference between admitting based on legacy and race is a question of a a sort of constitutional right of where you can discriminate. Is that is that the big issue? Legacy is not a defined. It's not a defined uh, class, right? So
0: you could. You can't uh, you know you can't discriminate on on these defined classes race gender uh, and and sexual orientation and other stuff like that
1: gotcha gotcha well super helpful for demystifying the scandal it's been fun uh, and you and know
0: there's somebody sold a book on it already in four days is that right yes a writer for fast company who has worked for variety and Hollywood reporter um, already sold a book that uh, 12 books bought on Friday um, so what four days after the scandal broke uh, so we'll be reading more about this I'm sure that they're already the movie rights are being sold I just want to know is Lori Laughlin and DJ己, <laughs> Let's see how do, they get to it, play do they get to play themselves yeah, I mean, from jail, may, I guess? That, well, maybe they might get out the, of jail for it that. It might be <laughs> the way
1: that they make back some of that money. So uh, the, uh, uh, But you should all keep your eyes out for the choice coming yes. out in 2020. Uh, yes. because so I, it's a little too long, probably, A little too long, scandal, but I suspect but. it's going to uh, shed more light than the scandal itself on how admissions at elite higher ed actually works. And uh, Jeff, thanks for your time today walking us through the scandal and its implications for the future of higher education. And uh, thank you for tuning in to future years you. If you like the show, please be sure to give us a five star rating on iTunes or wherever you get your podcast. And until next time, we'll see you soon.